Hey, yo. Uh, just calling to let you know that I uh, told everybody that there is a freeze on our main checking account. So, uh, until uh, further notice next week, let's not use that account. Talk to you soon. Bye. Business Podcast, the only podcast on iTunes guaranteed to reduce your consumer debt by 50%. Ian, my captain, my CEO, the man I look to for relationship advice. Sir, how are you today? Hey, Dan. I'm doing well. couple quick listener shout-outs I just want to get to. Jason L. Baptiste, as famously referenced as a baller in episode 33, officially listened to our podcast on his bike. Ian, how does that make you feel? Makes me feel pretty good. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> I, uh... I tweeted you the other day that you didn't tweet me back, so that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> Josh Crocker made a tweet, and in that tweet, he said that he's finding some of the content in our podcast more valuable than stuff that he's paid for. Sweet. I'm into that. Thanks for that nice comment, Josh. One question for the audience. and I've got... Uh, a question for everybody that they could either leave a comment or a tweet or they can write us an email. I want to know what is the most weird, unexpected, or exotic place that you've ever listened to this podcast? Because sometimes, do you ever have that feeling, Ian, when you're listening to maybe like a song that from an album that not many people had and you're in, you're in like, say, the French Riviera on a boat or something and you're like, I wonder how this band would feel right now if they knew we were all rocking out to their song. Yeah, you know? totally. And so, you know, getting some comments, people saying that they're listening to our podcast in these crazy locations, that's so cool to imagine um, that people could be thinking about their businesses and thinking about their lifestyle, listening to our podcasts in really cool, different scenarios. Sounds like a lot of people are listening to their podcasts while they drink, and I think that's a great idea. A couple comments uh, on the blog I just wanted to point to. Uh, basically, the kind of feedback we got on the last episode is I think people were energized by this idea that hey, this isn't – I'm energized by that too, and here's the reason. Is that, you know, I'm not smart enough to be able to generate a six-figure passive income in a year or anything. I can't figure out these tips and tricks. And from my perspective, this has been a lot about hard work and long learning curve. That's why I've become such a blog reader and such a podcast listener. Is in some ways, these media points have become sort of my commiseration point. They inspire me. They keep me company. They keep me going. Um, and that's why I wanted to start a podcast myself is because this stuff is such a long and arduous and such a huge lifestyle transition that having people that are in the same canoe as you is really, really helpful. David Crandall and, and uh, Nate from The Way You Wander and uh, Tony's uh, popping up again and, and Alan from The 9 to 5 Alternative are all saying, you know, this, this kind of thing of the hustle and, and how, how tough it is to be an entrepreneur. And I really believe that. It has not been easy uh, to do this stuff. One other comment we got from Ben Cameron, who seems to know about Palawan, which is where I'm going in a, in a, in a hot couple hours. So he gave me a, a sweet bar recommendation, which if anybody has uh, famously met up with me for a beer, they'll, they'll know that it's not just one and uh, that I'll <laughs> definitely take your bar recommendations. Ian, I wanted to ask you uh, about the news. What have you been up to, brother? It's been, uh, you know, it's been a week. What have you been doing? Well, in the last week, you know, some really interesting stuff has been happening. I've uh, been grinding 12 hours a day. I've taken a shower once a day, so that's good. I've uh, been arguing with my girlfriend this week, so that's good. Uh, you are really the sexy side of this conversation, brother. I, I appreciate yeah. all the hard work you're putting in. 
And, uh, of course, uh, I will bring some tropical flavor. This morning I went for a morning swim on the top of my condo overlooking the city. And that was awesome. You know, the fresh, crisp morning. I've been thinking about my morning routine, trying to get it myself more energized, trying to stay more healthy. I've been thinking about my diet. been getting up there in that pool, swimming laps. Ah, wow. I feel great. And I'm getting on a plane to go to the final frontier here in the Philippines, the most exotic land, the land that inspired the novel and the movie The Beach, Palawan. You can only say it in a whisper, Ian. Palawan. People dream of dream about Palawan at night. It's it's gorgeous, more beautiful than Thailand. There's nobody there, man. World class scuba diving. There's Spanish galleons on the floor of the ocean. It's Palawan. It's gonna be awesome. I can't wait. In other news, I think I uh, told you too that my doctor said I have high blood pressure. <laughs> well- but you got it. You really got to get it tested three times. He said because sometimes it can just be erratic. So. But this week it was definitely high. Well, thank you for everybody for your comments on the blog. And again, this week, if you could tell us where you're listening to the podcast, that'd be sweet. Uh, at the end of this episode, we are going to share a quick tip about how you can get search results from Google from all around the globe. And this is particularly useful if you're a digital nomad, which a lot of the people. Uh, listening to this podcast are trying to market products to the United States, but maybe they're searching or using Google from a different country. And I've got a couple hacks for that that I can help you out with. And Ian's got a quick tip about uh, how to get a good night's sleep. Let's uh, just get started into the meat and potatoes here, Ian. Today we've got four things that you should never do in your business. This is going to be a quick, short, and sweet one. These are just four things that we believe you should never do. Let's get us rolling, Ian. Number one, never talk S about your competition to anyone. I always I always live by this rule. I never talk smack about my competition, especially to customers. I think that's in really bad form. It's such a turnoff for me when the sales pitch that I'm hearing from someone turns into how shady the competition is. I'm not I don't have the scientific reasoning for this. I don't like negativity. It makes way more sense to communicate the kinds of benefits that you're providing and when if, if you're if you're the people on the phone do bring up your competition the way to the way to approach that is not to talk negatively about them but to talk about like how fast you're moving to be the premier supplier in whatever industry you're in i'd rather not talk smack about my competition even though it might cost me the sale i mean i never even think about it in terms of that but if somebody i've, I've been in these positions before where a customer's kind of tried to force me to talk poorly about my competition and I agree with you 100% that you have to um, focus on the positive points of your product and your business. If a customer is bringing you down or uh, bringing you down that path, sometimes they want to commiserate about your supplier and they want to talk about their bad experience. And the, the approach I take is just information gathering, pure curiosity. Like, really? Like, they're not serving you that well? Oh, my gosh. Like, what are some things that you would suggest? You know, like, I want to make sure that we're going to solve these problems for you. Of course, like, I never want you to have these kinds of problems with our organization. And, you know, this kind of general rule applies to things like all media. Like, being a positive person in general, I think, is important. And that includes don't write snarky emails that can get forwarded around, you know? Like, don't talk shit behind the scenes either because in this world, everything can come out. And so be generous, be positive, and focus on what you have to offer, not on how much of a crap supplier, you know, your comp- competition is. What's number two, Ian? True that. The second one, I live I live by this. I say it all the time. Never lose money in a sale. I don't ever lose money 
in a deal. I think it's in bad taste as well. And not only bad taste, I think it's just bad business. Never go into a deal. I see this all the time where, where you try to you try to work a deal and, and, and you think, well, maybe I'll lose out on this smaller order, but uh, I'm going to really win big on this bigger order. And I just think that's a super bad idea because a lot of times that bigger order doesn't pan out. And I I think it's 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 a really bad idea to play that game. I think that you should always be in it. To Loss play. leaders are things that your sales team will try to t- sell you on and that your clients will try to sell you on. If that's the kind of message you're consistently hearing from your team, you're playing in the wrong market. You don't want to cultivate customers that are going to force you into a loss leader situation. And it also means that the value you're providing, the products you're providing are not profound enough. The other thing, and maybe the more practical element, is that these things tend to not work out. Potential client, they get in with you, they get what they want, which is a su- the super absurdly low cost, and then the next time that they're ready to step up to the plate, they do the same damn thing. If that's the way they're going to act, that's the way they're going to act, and don't let them do it. And I see people get put over the knees all the time because people don't have this constraint in their business. We have this rule in our business, and it helps us. We don't extend ridiculous terms to people. We don't work with people that are going to bend us over. Like That's just the rule. It sets the precedent. That way we have a pushback point. And we have this solid rule, and I believe that it's helped us to grow a really profitable business. I mean, another thing is that we 100% bootstrapped our business on cash. Yeah, it's true. And, and the way we did that is by preserving our margins, and you have to do that. Absolutely. And that means not losing money. Never lose money on a sale. Number three is an interesting one because I think we've both lived it. This is a really important one, and it comes up when you have more people in your organization as you start hiring and that's never let malignant employees linger. This one is 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 so important. I think there's a couple different kinds of employees that you can let linger. One is a malignant employee and then the other one is uh, basically somebody that just lingers around but isn't necessarily uh, a threat to the organization directly. These are both average types of employees. There's benignly average employees and then there's the malignant ones, the cancerous employees. Sometimes the problem is is sometimes they're not cancerous at the beginning. Like things change in an organization, especially when organizations grow. You could have someone who's perfectly competent manager at an entry level, right? And then say your company doubles and that person becomes incompetent. They they raise they, it's called the concept of getting grandfathered into a position, right? And yeah. What can happen? This is a quote I always remember from Jason Calacanis, and he said, average employees push excellent ones out of an organization, and so you have to protect the excellent employees from average. And certain average employees, malignantly average employees, are threatened by talent. And you need to this – this is a subtle one. If an average employee is forcing talent to speak to them, in other words, is forcing the talent – to answer to them or they want to control it in some way, you need to fire them. And that's tricky because that average employee isn't going to understand why they're being fired. They're going to think, in fact, they're being responsible and doing a good job. It's also tricky because you've built your business on that average employee or the perfectly competent employee at the beginning level of your business. And what ends up happening is that that's such a difficult fire to make. It almost feels unethical that what you do as an entrepreneur is say, you know what? Everyone's going to work this thing out. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. If You have two options. Keep your business going along and say, 
everybody's going to work this out. People are going to work together. And what's going to happen is your talent is going to leave. So that's one option. And then the second option, which most entrepreneurs don't take, is to buck up and to broadside your average employee and to drop them or to make a major realignment. Most people don't choose that, and it stunts the growth of fast growing. This is the kind of thing that happens a lot in more traditional businesses. Um, I think the startup community, especially the tech startup community, is very sensitive to these kinds of issues, and they've built systems in to kind of deal with this stuff. But in industries that I've worked in, you know, middle America, normal kind of jobs, I'm sure a lot of people on the other end of this podcast right now are nodding their heads. And people saying, yes, like I've been forced to out of organizations because it's been so utterly frustrating to work with people who demand that they control talent because they're threatened. This is a this is kind of a double-sided point too. I think it's also we make a good point here which is uh never bring in average employees in the first place. This is a huge thing for me. I call them half stacks. That's what I call them. And uh <laughs> you, you never never bring in an average employee. And I was just talking to uh, one of our guys yesterday about this because we're getting ready to bring on an intern and I said, "Look, like I wouldn't hire any of these interns, but like let's see what happens." And so I feel like, oh, they're, they're probably above average. I wouldn't hire them. But we're going to bring them on anyways um, because I think that there's a good chance that they can become excellent employees at, at some point. But we had a conversation uh, just about bringing in average people to the organization and how it's such a bad idea. It's, it's, just, it's just a horrible idea to bring anybody in that isn't going to push you forward as quickly as possible. One way to think about this, and it, it can be a little difficult to figure out, well, what's average and what's talent? How do, Am I talent? How do you know? Well, here's one way to look at it. Talent loves to work with other talent and more talented talent. Okay? So you know your talent if somebody walks into your organization that you hire somebody that you know is more talented than them, and you're excited about that. If, you, if that's your psychological response, then you're what they call an A. A's love to work with other A's. That's the, that's the way that you can determine talent or do a self-assessment. If someone walks into your organization or if someone gets hired in and you recognize that they're more talented than you, if you're fearful that they're going to take your opportunities from you, you're average or you're malignantly average. If you're excited about the opportunity and you want to work with that person to learn from them and to create something bigger together, and you're the talent. And booyakasha, you're in good shape. Business owners, just make sure that you don't keep those people around that want to control the people that are really going to make the biggest difference in your business. You know, that's a, unfortunately, that's a lesson that I've seen play out in front of me on many different organizations that I've been involved in. Maybe it takes a lot to run a business passionately and to provide the talent with real opportunities. I mean, that's an exhausting thing that we're willing to do in our business, but maybe a lot of entrepreneurs just aren't. They just they want a more relaxing experience, a more predictable one, and that's understandable. But just, you know, if you want to grow fast, this is an important one. Like I said, I got high blood pressure, and you don't get that from having average people around. <laughs> the fourth and final point is to never shoehorn people into roles that they aren't going to flourish in or that they aren't flourishing in. This point is to say that it's really hard to make people do things that they don't want to do and that they're not good at. I've seen this a million, million times before where you get people in in situations and and you're pushing them and you're pushing them uh, to do things that are out of their comfort zone and and they're still not comfortable with it and they're they're not working into it. Um, And you just can't do that. You just, as an adult, I think that you, you probably learned this, but for some reason in business, we still try to do it. Is that like you can't make your best friend Joey like 
ride bikes if he doesn't want to ride bikes. This is one that like I've just sucked at historically. Rather, I mean, part of it is just being a great leader. So, some of it is like you know, interpersonally, you tend to like want to give people respect and like give them the kinds of opportunities that you would want to have and all this. But really, the better route is just to be the strong leader. To identify the potential that you see in people to identify their competencies and to place them there to leave it up to them to be to like identify ways to broaden their scope but oftentimes i try to shoehorn people into these really broad scope roles that i might be interested in and they just do not flourish and i just keep pushing them it's so stupid on my part as the leader as the person who's taking responsibility for the organization i really need to be better at this in the future and focus on putting people where they can flourish sometimes that involves some tough conversations like i just did this the other day to one of my guys i realized that you like really have a strong focus right here and you're good at that but the problem is of course is that those tasks aren't as valuable to our organization and that's a lot of times why this kind of thing happens it's like you say hey of course yeah we'd be making so much more money if you'd be making cold calls all day long but that person isn't going to flourish doing that sometimes you have to say look like we're going to have to adjust the compensation then and a lot of people love that i've heard in the last month with more than one person collective exhales because people would prefer to make less money and focus on things that they're good at than have all this upside. Like, you know, you have this assumption because we're these greedy entrepreneurs that everybody's just out there to make all this money, Ian. And apparently that's not true. Yeah, some people want a good life. <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we're off. Hey, let's move on to the quick tips, tools, and or funny joke section. Ian, you have a revolutionary... Uh, tip for us in the bedroom. Oh, I'm excited. What do you got? Drum roll, please. Because <laughs> we haven't had one of those yet. <laughs> this is something that's changed my life, and, and I wanted to share it. I don't have a physical clock in my room anymore, and I haven't for probably five years. When you were growing up, did you have like an alarm clock in your room? Yes. Yeah, I hate alarm clocks. I can't stand them because it was always like, it was always like impending doom. So, like, I'd, like, look at the clock oh, yeah. when I was going to bed and just, like, start counting down the hours until I had to get to school. And uh, Oh, yeah, buddy. Y- you roll over, you know, 15 minutes before you, you're supposed to get up, you see the clock, and it's just it's a horrible feeling for me. It was always horrible, but I think that's probably one of the reasons why I'm an entrepreneur today is because I, I hate being anywhere at any time that I don't want to be there. <laughs> so, so five years ago, I got rid of my clock, and it is it is been amazing and and the most revolutionary thing the most amazing thing that it's done for me is that it's allowed me to get a good night's sleep i don't set an alarm ever and the reason i don't do that is because it forces me to go to bed earlier so if i wake up late one day like say i wake up at nine o'clock and i was supposed to be at the office at eight then i'll know that i didn't get enough sleep that night um and so that's how i kind of control my sleep patterns actually is by not setting an alarm and not having a clock in my room it's really allowed me to do to zone in on how much sleep I need to get and to lower my stress level. You no, know, I can sense a lot of the employed listeners of our uh, audience rolling their eyes right now. And I understand because I used to shoehorn my sleeping patterns into like five and a half hours at times when I was in really busy uh, runs. You no, know, Ian, that's one of the first indulgences when I quit my job. I literally have not had an alarm clock since. I, in fact, the other day I had an interview with another blogger at like 8 a.m. Like it was an important interview and I actually bought an alarm clock that day to set it that night. And then I got rid of it the next day. (laughs) Swear to God. So, yeah, I'm just, I spent 
so many years being at such an insane lightning pace, like sleeping six hours a night maximum, that I just never went back. I think it, it's kind of like, I mean, it's not a huge deal, but it, I'll never forget how much bullshit I thought that was at the time. And, you know, and or how much I just would never choose to do that if I wasn't a slave to an organization. And uh, I'm just never going to do it again. So I'm, I'm off that train. I'm all about, you know, the early bird gets the worm and all this stuff, but no more freaking... Uh, blaring alarms in the morning you know I, I prefer to have something a little bit more natural yeah i've got a uh, quick tip this is a, uh, particularly effective for expats people who are marketing products to the united states but they're out of country and this can be a problem because google serves different search results based on the country that you're in and of course if you want to do market research uh in the united states you need to see what people in the united states are seeing there's two ways you can do that. With organic search results, Google has a new piece of functionality where at the end of your search query, you put ampersand GL, which stands for geolocation, equals, and then a country code. And we'll link to the list of country codes. So for me, I would do ampersand GL equals US. And then I would get the search results for the US. There's one other way that I do this. You can use remote IP services, which allow you to surf the web from different IPs to get the experience from that country. And HideMyAss.com is a remote IP service for the United States. So the second I go to HideMyAss.com and put in my search query there, I am searching as if I were in Chicago. And that's important because then I get to see the ads that are U.S. targeted. And most advertisers are targeting their ads to full countries. And so in my case, I want to do market research on people who are advertising to the U.S., and that's the way that I do it. So uh, those, are, those are my quick tips on remote IP Hey, stuff. I've got a question for you, a Google question. Um, do you ever notice mm-hmm. when you're searching in Google for maybe you're in the business of making CDs, uh, so you're always checking up on your competition. So you're always you're always typing in CDR or something like that, and and after a while you start kind of getting the same results. Why is that? Getting the same results. Yeah, like it's um like it's actually catering towards what. You oh yeah, click you gotta on. be you gotta be you, you gotta be logged out of your Google account. Ah. Yeah, Google knows a lot about you, bro. Got it. And that shit's dangerous. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and like, yeah, you got to sign out of your Google account when you do when you do competitive research. What I do, and I use a multi multi browser strategy. I've got three browsers on my computer. I one I use solely for SEO research. I have two different companies, so I'm in two different email accounts all day long. So yeah, I use a multi browser approach for that kind of thing. But you can just sign out of your your account. Got it. So anyway, buddy, I, hey, I gotta go get on an airplane. So I'm heading off to Palawan. And I'll tell you what I'm really excited about. I'm in the flow this week, man. I'm getting shit done. We are making money. Things are happening. Got a big investor meeting next week. I'm on the phone. People are jamming. We're getting stuff done. I'm going on vacation. It's not vacation. I'm going to go meet with the mayor. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to to have a great time. But I'm going to get work done the whole time. Not a single hiccup. You know what? I'm not stressed out about it. I'm in the flow. I got these new... uh... I got these new supplements. I can't remember the name of them, but I picked them up at Whole Foods. It was $15 for a bottle of like 30, but they're supposed to lower your blood pressure. So I'm going to go take those. Hey, however you roll, brother. Hey, I'll talk to you soon. Always awesome to be on the phone with you. Until uh, next time, thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Business Podcast. Thank you, Ian. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, Lifestyle Business Podcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.